you so much for getting up and getting energized and making your way out here. I'm really excited about this new series. It is my first time preaching a Christmas series. So that is super exciting for me because if you know me, you know that I am not a huge Christmas buff. Who knew that? Anybody know that? Like, I'm not huge on Christmas. I love the birth of Jesus. I love the fact that he was given to us. And, he's, and I, I believe that he's the greatest gift we've ever gotten. But something about Christmas just kind of rubs me the wrong way. A lot of it is the gift giving. Anybody a bad gift taker or gift receiver here? I am not a good, you know, you, nobody raise their hands. If you're watching online, nobody raise their hands. That means we have a church of amazing gift givers and gift receivers. And so we're expecting you guys to give to each other tremendously this season. So I didn't grow up in a family where Christmas was traditionally about the tree and it was stacked to the ceiling and gifts. And now that I'm married to a Dominican, they don't even have a Christmas tree. And somehow the gifts go all the way up to the ceiling. It is a large family. If you know Dominicans or are related to Dominicans or are Dominican, you know, or even Caribbean. Can we say Caribbean? Something about Christmas is just like Jesus coming one more time every year. This might be the last time we get to do this, so let me give you a lot of gifts. And we struggle with that simply because we didn't grow up with that. My favorite holiday, in case you were wondering, is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the absolute favorite for us. It's actually when my father used to give gifts. He never give, gives gifts otherwise. Christmas to him is just like, eh. So Christmas was always a little bit weird, but in this season, now that we're pastoring here at the gathering, and this is our first time doing an Advent series, and Advent, if you've never heard that word, is the Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, all right? And so where we get to talk about and celebrate the journey, Advent means journey. So we're going we're gonna to explore that over the next couple of weeks. And I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, because I want to give you a preface to this entire series. Both Marlon and myself are going to be sharing some messages based on this portion of scripture. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And if you have your Bible, paper Bible, there are some Bibles here in case somebody needs them. If you don't have one, please feel free to take one. But I want you to underline this verse in your Bible because hopefully in your experience and lifetime as a Christian, you're going to be reviewing this same verse many, many times. And even the children in the house, listen to me. Because over the next couple of weeks, and please make sure to be here, we're going to be exploring the story of the greatest superhero of all time. This guy named Jesus. Anybody, have you heard of Jesus before? Yes? Okay. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And seven, it says, for to us, a child is born or your Bible might say for unto us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That seems applicable these days, doesn't it? Feels like everything is political and everything is about government. But I want to assure you of what the words in this scripture are the even government which we kind of feel in our culture that government controls everything we do they set the rules they set the laws that even government falls under his authority is what this says and his name shall be underline wonderful counselor 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to, hold, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Can we pray wherever you are? Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Some of us struggle in prayer because it feels like either we're not good enough to pray or how dare I go before the creator of the universe to ask for anything. But if you're listening to my voice at this moment and even online, wherever you are, just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and invite the spirit to speak to us, to speak to you specifically this afternoon. Holy Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the greatest gift that has ever been given to man. Father, today we invite you to be here with us, to be with us in our homes during the week. Whenever we're listening to this message, Father, I pray that you move the Holy Spirit within each one of us to receive a word this afternoon. Father, will you change our hearts? Will you remove the corruption in our souls and replace it with your goodness and your glory? Father, teach us to love on you in the way that your son did and to learn to be so sacrificially in love with both you and our brothers and sisters on earth. Father, fill me this afternoon. Speak through me and change our lives once more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've been watching a lot of Sopranos, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't see me as less holy. I really, I, this is my second time watching it, and there's just something about the Sopranos that I love. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I feel like I'm one of them sometimes. I don't do what they do. Calm down. But I just feel like I'm one of them sometimes. And this time that I'm watching it, this is the second time, like I said, second time I'm watching The Sopranos. And something I'm realizing about this show, it has so little to do with the mafia and so much to do, so much more to do with psychology. The show starts with this mafia. Has anybody not seen Sopranos? Anybody? Raise your hand if you haven't seen it. I'm not even going to encourage you to watch it because it may get a little crazy. It's a story, basically. At least you guys know the gist of it. A story that follows the boss of a crime family in New Jersey. And all of the stereotypes that go along with what we know culturally about the mafia, all of them are in there. If you've heard me say gabagool over the last couple of weeks, that is like, it's just one of my favorite words. Because it's also in the office. So I've been watching this show. And I've just been just trying to find the symbolism and, and, and why it says what it says and why they make the scenes the way they make them and trying to see behind the, the obvious. 
And I realized as I prepared for today's message that the first scene of this show started with this boss, this man of power and influence in his circles in the office of a counselor, of a psychologist. This man who has the world at his beck and call, because if you don't, you'll get killed, is sitting in the office of a counselor, of a psychiatrist, because there's things inside of him that no matter how many people he scares into doing what he wants, they're not actually his friends. They're not actually people who care for him. They're just afraid of him. Or they come to him because of what he can give them. There's some episodes that happen during Christmas time. And if, have you ever noticed that even in stories like Pablo Escobar and all these like old school, um, even drug uh, kingpins, they were people that had stuff, many things wrong with their morality, with their lives. But somehow you still see them giving back to their communities of the poor. You notice that? And so the same thing happens here. So this man is surrounded by wealth, surrounded by power and influence. But there's things inside of him that a psychiatrist needs to treat. Somebody willing to sit with him and listen to him about his issues. Today, I want us to look into this, this kind of like a banner scripture of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And we're going to look into these two words in verse 6. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. And let me give you a quick disclaimer because I'm going to move fast today. If you're someone who is struggling with mental illness, if you're someone who's struggling with things inside of you that you're afraid to, to let other people know, you're afraid to let people see this side of you or to see you, you think they'll see you as weak, I invite you to find a therapist and I invite you to sit with somebody, someone neutral, someone who you know, and even if you have to pay them, hopefully you have insurance, but take advantage of that. Don't let these rotten things rot further in your heart. Find somebody. If you don't want to go to a doctor, find a friend who you trust. This is huge. Find a friend who you trust, someone who is safe, and let go of that stuff that's inside of you, okay? I know, I don't know about you guys, but culturally speaking, I feel like the Hispanic culture was very much against psychology. And I remember years ago when I started going to a therapist and co considering going to a therapist, I was actually in high school. I remember my parents being so afraid that it would be in my record. Have, has anybody ever been warned about the record? No, no, don't do this, it's gonna be on your record. And I, I was too little to think like, what record? I know there's a police record. But, like, for me to go to the third what record? Like, who's keeping record on this little 16-year-old boy? And so I was like, you know what? I love you, mom and dad, but I need to talk to somebody. And so here we are. Fast forward. Double that. I'm 34 now, so more than double. Take it easy. I'm 34 now when I continue going to sit with somebody, especially now as a, as a pastor because in dealing with people, your mind just gets to the point where you just kind of have to unload and, and share with somebody neutral. And so I certainly encourage that in you. But I want us to look quickly through this name that Jesus is given by Isaiah. And if you heard me say this before, the reason Isaiah is so special is because he's the one who spoke most about Jesus in specificity. Specificity means in detail about Jesus, but he existed almost a millennia, 
millennia is a thousand years, about. 800 to a thousand years prior to Jesus even being born. So talk about prophecy, right? I know all of you have probably gotten a prophecy saying that they see something here and something in your future. And No, this is Isaiah talking to the people of Israel, telling them there's someone coming to save you. No one in the Old Testament spoke such specific and prophetic words about the future coming of Christ like Isaiah did. Isaiah gave titles to Jesus almost these 800 years before Jesus would even be born. And he gave this prophecy to, a, to an Israel that was feeling fear. So today as I'm speaking to you, I want you to find inside of you that one thing or two things or ten things that really bring you to a place of fear and brokenness. We're really good at hiding it. And we're really bad at bringing it up when it starts crushing us. So, so today, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, I just want you to reflect on those things that you try so heavily to hide. Because today we're going to present those things to the wonderful counselor. Israel was facing an oppression by the Assyrians. You don't need to know much about them historically, except that they were worth fearing. And here was Isaiah speaking to the chosen people of God, and he says these words, these words of hope. Don't be afraid. There is a Savior. There is a Christ coming to save. And you don't know him yet. You, don't, you might not even understand what I'm saying to you. So I'm going to give you some of his titles. Wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. This portion of scripture describes not only the divinity of God, but also his humanity. And would come to fulfillment, the words that Isaiah says, when the savior of the world is born, which is what we're celebrating in this season, this Advent season, the coming birth of Jesus. And his first name is Wonderful Counselor. Why wonderful? This is a word that it feels like we don't use. Anybody use the word wonderful often? Yeah? Wonderful. Some of us may use it from time to time, but it really is a word that I think culturally, perhaps in American culture, we don't use very much. Wonderful. Remember that much of scripture is originally written in Hebrew. Did some of us know that Hebrew and Greek? Okay. His history lessons on scripture. Hebrew and Greek. And in the Hebrew, the words wonderful and counselor are translated as Pele Yoez. Pele Yoez. The first is Pele. And this means something extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. That's wonder. Pele is wonder. Let me give that to you again. Something extraordinary. Incomprehensible, which means so hard to understand or to fathom, to figure out. And inexplicable, meaning you cannot find the words or a way to explain it. This is wonder. And then the second word is yoes, counselor. And this means to advise to counsel, to devise, and purpose. Wonderful counsel, counselor. Yele poes, yele poes. God gave us the greatest gift in Jesus by providing us someone, a man who would work not only in the physical through his many miracles, but also in the spiritual. 
Jesus is our only assured counselor. So as Tony Soprano is sitting in front of this lady, the psychiatrist, Jennifer Melfi, for six or seven seasons, they're going back and forth. And in like season five, he realizes this and he looks at her and says, I realize you don't actually help me. You just let me sit here and complain. So the difference that we see in Jesus is that Jesus is a few things that I want to point out to us here. And the first thing that he is in differentiation to counselors and close friends and people who we call confidants is that Jesus is exceptional. Jesus is exceptional. Jesus isn't just a man, right? So this is what confuses some people. Those 33 years that Jesus was on earth, he was full man and he was full God. Remember we said he was wonderful, which means that inexplicable. So we really don't have to explain it. We just have to believe it. But this is what happened. God so loved the world that he had to give his only son. And how could he do that in a way that we would relate to what he was going through or that we would be convinced that he understood what we were going through? He had to make him in, make him a body and put the spirit of God himself, his son, into that body. So that he might feel the things that we feel, the brokenness that we feel. Now, Jesus saw no sin. He felt no sin. He performed no sin. But he was full man. There might be pushback theologically about some people. Well, how could he be full man if he didn't sin? He couldn't sin. He could have chosen to, but he was still God. There's differentiations here, but he felt a broken heart. He felt probably what you and I feel when we lose a friend, when we lose a family member, when we, lost our, when we lose our jobs, when we go without. Jesus feels these things, but not only did he feel it in the spiritual now, he was now able to feel it in his body. When he goes up on that cross at the end of his life and those nails are drilled and hammered through his wrists he feels pain it's not the way God feels pain which is he can at the snap of his fingers get rid of the actual physical pain this is Jesus the man feeling pain absorbing all of mine and your brokenness this is the exceptional Jesus that we have as a counselor here this counselor is both man and God. His uniqueness is found in the fact that he is the incarnation of God. That already sets him aside and makes him exceptional. Let me give you some scripture here really quick. Romans 8 verse 28. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is the assurance that Jesus can take something that we see as horrible, awful, beyond correction, and make it all work for good. Do you know of anybody, any one of your friends or confidants, people you go to and trust, who can take the mess of your situation and use it for good? I'm not talking about encourage you into good. I'm not talking about making you feel good in the middle of your problem. I'm talking about taking that terrible situation of yours and actually making something good out of it. But there's a key here also, and it's for those who love God. If you're at, in Romans 8, 28 now, underline in the beginning when it says, for those who love 
God. Some people feel like God's reciprocation is free. Let me tell you something today. There isn't a price that you can pay for God's love. But there are things that he would reciprocate back to you. Because this says, for those who love God, he can use those terrible situations and use them for good. But what's the condition? The condition is for those who love God. And it says after that, those who are called. Those who find purpose in God. And if we want to relate it to just the psychiatrist and the patient, for those who come to the office or pick up the phone and make the call and say, doctor, I need your help. For some reason, some people think that we can get the wonderful counselor without ever making an appointment. Lord, give me your counsel. Sit with me, encourage me, build me up, but I never want to show up to spend the moment with you. It's hard to counsel that way. If you're trying to relate that in your mind, right? People just want it for free. God, I want you to counsel me and direct me and lead me in the way I'm supposed to go, but I never want to show up. Friends, show up. Pick up the phone. Make the appointment with God. Be intentional about making space for him. Create a reciprocating relationship with the Father. Jesus was full man and full God while on earth. He was exceptional. There were at least 34 miracles that Jesus performed that were recorded in the Bible. Three, four that were recorded that, that God saw worthy for us to know about. I'm sure there were many more. He healed mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. As a man, Jesus volunteered himself for death and is ultimately resurrected, right? Because we don't celebrate a dead king. We celebrate a risen king. He was no simple man. And we know that Jesus in the manger, we see, the, we see him with a hammer in his hand because he was a carpenter. But never doubt that G Jesus was exceptional. Jesus is also the source of all wisdom. He's exceptional and he's the source of all wisdom. In Luke chapter 2 verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In Isaiah 11:2, it says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God, the source of all wisdom. Paul tells us in Colossians that the mystery of God is found only in Christ. So Isaiah directing us to Christ the Savior, Paul directing us to Christ the Savior. So why wouldn't we go to, to he who is the source of wisdom? When in James 1, chapter 1, verse 5, we are told that he is always ready to pour out his wisdom unto those who humbly ask him. In your notes, if you're taking notes, James 1, 5, because I'm going to hit humility again. This is the type of counselor that requires you to get over yourself. The reason humility is required is because when you go to counsel to one of your friends, like, yo, you got a second, let me, let me talk to you, man. Oh, you're texting back and forth. You need somebody to listen to you, to affirm you, to build you up. Have you noticed that you often give them just a good version of your bad story? Nah, man, it's just because I didn't mean to see what was trying, what was happening was that the good version of your bad story. And you realize that with Jesus, you can't do that. 
because you can verbalize the good version of your bad story, but God knows the worst that was happening. Even in the thing that you think you did wrong, there was something underlying there. There was something happening in your heart when you hurt that other person. And Jesus is able to see that, not just to buy the story that you're selling him. So it requires humility to be able to approach this counselor. So we said he was the source of all wisdom. We said that Jesus was exceptional. And then Jesus is our true helper. True helper. It was through Jesus that God's fulfillment of hope to his people was realized. The prophecy that Isaiah spoke to Israel, God's promised people. Now, you might ask yourself, what is a counselor? A counselor helps leads, advises, protects, and prescribes. Just like a psychiatrist, a, a professional licensed therapist and counselor, you can go to them and they prescribe. If you have something going on in your mind, they're able to give you uh, medications if needed. They're able to prescribe to you maybe some exercises, some breathing exercises. They prescribe, and so does Jesus. Jesus does all these, but he also, this is the thing that sets him aside, sets him apart, excuse me, makes him, makes him outstanding. Jesus can also save. Jesus can give breath and life to something that's been dying or something that has already been dead for a while. No counselor and no therapist can do that. Because anybody, you don't even have to raise your hand because I know you're not going to. Anybody right now, even if you're watching online, do you feel like you're slowly dying? Or do you feel like you've been dead already? Over the summer in the middle of the park, do you remember we talked about the dry bones? These dry bones. We serve a God and a counselor that can give life to a valley of dead bones. But I need you to understand this. This isn't just a guy on a Sunday standing up here preaching. Some of you are here by the mercy of the Lord, by the graciousness of the Father, but you're dying. You're dying. My wife played a song for me. I don't know who sang it. And the first thing that it starts talking about, I don't know the words, but I'll paraphrase. It says that we come to church, we're excited for the worship, we, we like the good preacher, he's exciting, and we like seeing our friends. But the truth is, like these churches we just studied in Revelation, we're dying. We're dying, and the worst part, like those churches, we don't even know it. But it's so evident in some of us. And I'm not even talking about those of us in this room right now, perhaps, I'm not excluding you. I'm talking about the world dying and don't even know it. We think that the value of our life is found in its length. YOLO. I only have one life to live. I got to get these wiggles out. I got a four-year-old daughter. I have 50, maybe 60, 70, 80 years to have my best life. Live your best life. And then you have people like me all over the world who say your best life is only Christ. 
Your best life is only Christ. There is no counselor. There is no medicine. There is no resolution on this earth that will give you life and resolution the way Jesus, the wonderful counselor, can. There were seasons in my life where I felt like me taking a seat and just waiting for the worst to come to me. And then the enemy starts playing with your mind. Maybe some of you have been here where the enemy says this. The world would be better off without you. Anybody? Isaac, the world might be better off without you. Do you know how bad you are? Who can love you like that? can't have kids. You can't reproduce that. God forbid. Perhaps the world would be a better place without Isaac Badaracco. I praise God that in that moment I was able to recognize that it wasn't the voice of my father. When you go to the wonderful counselor, you get to know his voice because of his counsel. So when you hear the other guy speaking, you know who it is and who it isn't. Jesus is our true helper. He can also give life. He can give life in the middle or after death. Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 3 says something beautiful. I really need you to take this with you today. Who feels like they're sitting in a pile of ashes? You thought I was going to say something else. But who here feels like they're sitting in a pile of things that are dead and ashed away? Look at what Isaiah says. The spirit of the Lord, this is what he's saying to these people who were broken in heart. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Sometimes you and I are poor in spirit. He has sent me to, the, me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 2020 has been a horrible year, but somehow it's still the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Listen to this verse. Verse 3 is my favorite. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. In other versions, the NLT, the NIV, it says to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they, may, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. My favorite verse, verse 3. To give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This counselor can take the ashes of the things that have burned down and been broken in your life. Not only make them beautiful, but make them a crown upon you. Which means, who wears crowns? Royalty. Never forget that even in the worst state that you're in, you continue to be the child of a king. Which makes you royalty. And God alone, this counselor alone, is able to take that mess you're in and make you your crown. Where your mess now becomes, and you've heard this before, your mess now becomes your message. Your mess now becomes your mission. Your mess is the thing that now drives you in mission. If you'll have the guts 
to stand up against and humbly surrender the brokenness within you. How can I book this wonderful counselor? Anybody looking to book an appointment? Anybody? I hate making appointments. This, one, this, this one's worth it. I feel like nobody ever answers the phone. Second Chronicles verse, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, that's you, that you're called by his name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Have a struggle? That's a question. Do you have a struggle? This is what the wonderful counselor advises. This is what he prescribes in this session, in this appointment. First thing, humble yourself. Don't approach Jesus as though he owes you something. He doesn't owe you jack. You owe him everything. You owe him every beat of your heart. You owe him every breath that you take. And that you don't, for that matter. So first, humble yourself. Second, pray. Make your requests known to him. Once you've approached him humbly, be humble, come to him in prayer. Second, seek. I feel like we forget this part. We pray and then we just kind of leave it there, which is fine because you're trusting in the Lord, but then you don't continue seeking. You continue with the unrighteousness of your life. I'm going to go and keep doing my dirt because I already prayed. So God said that if I prayed, he would answer. But there's, again, conditions here. Pray and then seek me. Look after me. Run after me. Worship me. Lift me up in praise. Don't make God a transaction. He's not a transactional God. Don't feel like you're giving and you giving him prayer. He owes you something in return. Like when you stick your card into the ATM and you press your buttons, hopefully you have some money, and you just sit there waiting for it to reply with your money. God isn't an ATM. Don't just look for him when you need something. Earnestly and lovingly seek and look after him. Make him a necessity in your life. And lastly, turn from wicked ways, which is what it says here. I'll read that portion of 2 Chronicles 7.14. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You haven't actually been turned back to Jesus if you have not given up your wicked ways. Give up your wicked ways. Pray, seek, and approach him humbly, often. Then, what it says at the end of that verse, verse 14, then he will hear from heaven and will forgive our sins, and he will heal our land. Friends, we serve a risen king, a coming savior, who's yet to come again. But we also have in him a wonderful counselor. Can you close your eyes? I'm so grateful to the Lord that he really is able to restore for us. That we can bring to him the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our circumstance, and we can trust in him to be the wonderful, restorative, reconciling, and saving counselor that we need him to be. On a number of occasions in my 
short life as a minister. I've asked people to do this in various contexts. And as we drop the lights in the room, I just want you to have a moment with Jesus. And I want you to think about that one thing, perhaps, if this exists in you and you haven't surrendered it, the one thing that you struggle with, that you're so shamed about or ashamed towards. Even the things that if you were with a professional earthly therapist, you may not bring up. Or perhaps you have a request of something that's happening in your life that you really need to surrender to God. And I'm going to invite us right now together, everybody, to bring that to the wonderful counselor. And just ask him to restore that for us. Can we all just raise our hands, please? Just raise your hands wherever you are. We're going to pray together. We're going to surrender that. We're going to present that at the feet of Jesus for him to, to resolve for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much.